Crossway Church Sermon Audio. These days, there is a reality show for everything, isn't there? I mean, if you can dream it up, there's a reality show for it. There's been reality shows based around guys that chase alligators and other reality shows that various fishing techniques. I think people that would uh, do catfishing, I, I think that's part of it. And uh, is that a word, catfishing? They fish catfish? I don't know. And then there's other guys that chase after hogs that run around in some part of the country. I don't even know. And, of course, there is Duck Dynasty. Who could have imagined that that would become a show? And yet it's probably the highest quality show on television, right? Incredible entertainment value. Now, a while back, oh, and uh, one of my favorites these days is Extreme Cheapskates. Have you seen this one? I've only seen a couple of episodes, and I think some of the people in our congregation could be on that show. I didn't mention Kurt Weaver, did I? Somebody else said. He is Mr. Value. And, uh, and, and then a while back, I saw a couple of episodes. Really, I, I only get to see an episode here or there. This one called Hoarders. Have you seen that one? And Hoarders is, it's about people that hoard things. And it's, it's remarkable what they keep. You, if you've never been around someone like that, you'll be, you'd be amazed. They fill every bit of their living space to literally overflowing with, with whatever they've gotten, they keep. And really, your heart, your heart ends up breaking for these folks. Clearly, they're, they're struggling with tremendous things. And, and watching that episode took me back about 20 years to my, my uh, experience with, with a woman who was a hoarder. And, and I was the youth pastor at a, a church plant in Fort Lee, New Jersey. And and she was hoarding in her apartment. She was a single mom. And this is how heartbreaking it was because of her problems, her challenges. Her little daughter had been in and out that had been taken away from her and given back on more than one occasion because it was a question as to whether she was able to care for her daughter. And we loved this, this woman and her daughter, and they would come to church. And so one time she asked for help, so we went to help her. And specifically, the, 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 the apartment complex was concerned about how much she had in her apartment. So we went in to try to help her clear it out. And so we go in to try to help her clear it out. And, and it's immediately obvious she has, she has an incredible amount of napkins and an incredible amount of of all manner of paper products, cups, dishes, napkins, tissues, toilet paper, uh, paper towels, you name it. And she had, she had, wherever she could get this for free, she would take it and put it in her apartment. And, and that's not to speak of the clothes and everything else. And so we began to say, well, you have more than enough of these. Let's take this out. And every time we tried to take something, she would essentially have a panic attack. It was, it was the most clearly demonstrated experience I have had where I saw someone's inner turmoil working out immediately in the moment externally. It was, it was in, in, in an incredibly dramatic fashion. She was in pain. She was paralyzed. She was upset. She would vacillate between anger and despair. Without making any real progress, we had to stop for her, for her well-being. And it was that incredible demonstration of inner turmoil that I got to see that day. Most of us don't express our inner turmoil in that manner. In fact, most of us can smile, can act as if everything is fine, while at the same time experiencing incredible confusion and sadness and pain in our hearts and minds. So I want to ask you today, the Scriptures want to ask you today, what does your inner turmoil look like? 
We can be assured there are people here this morning that have turmoil right now in their soul. They are in turmoil. They are pain. They have questions. They're crying out to God and to others, and they are in turmoil. God, of course, has an answer for us. God, of course, cares. And one of the great glorious purposes of Psalm 42 and 43 is that these psalms are a balm for those who are in turmoil. They are a healing ointment. And the psalms in general are that for us. And these psalms, I think, today are going to specifically be very helpful for some of us here because they consistently point us back to our Savior and His salvation over and over again, repetitively. And here we will see a man, a writer in great turmoil who continually puts his hope in God. And that's essentially our theme for today. It's straightforward, but it's our theme. When there is turmoil within, put hope in God. When there's confusion and pain, when you're crying out, Cry out to God. Take a step in faith toward Him. Challenge your soul to have faith in Him. When there is turmoil within, put hope in God. Now, we're going to see through this psalm three reasons for His turmoil, and I think three reasons for our turmoil. And these three are probably far more common than we realize, and often we're going to feel these things, even though maybe someone else wouldn't identify it, we can feel it. And so here's three reasons that we're going to see in these psalms for his turmoil. Their separation, their being forgotten, and their rejection. And so three reasons for his turmoil is that he was separated, he was forgotten, and he was rejected. And so we're going to walk our way through these reasons. Now, just a couple of notes on our psalms this morning, chapters 42 and 43, before we dive into these reasons for turmoil and our hope, our need to put hope in God. For a few reasons, it's rather certain that Psalm 42 and 43 are a literary unit, that they go together. There's, there's a few reasons that's, that's rather certain, but now, let me just give you a, a couple of reasons. Now, and by the way, you know that the chapter numbers came much later. They didn't come at the time of writing, but they came much later to help us navigate through God's Word, through the Scriptures. And it really is very helpful to have these numbers, both chapter and verse. But they came later, and this is a break here in chapters 42 and 43 that was probably a little too aggressive on the one who made these chapter numbers. So two quick reasons I want to assert here are, first of all, you'll notice at the beginning of chapter 42, there's a heading, and that superscription came, that was by the writer, that's inspired as well as the text. So where you see, to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. That's a, that, that subtitle is, is part of the Scriptures here in that sense. And, and, and the masculine is, a, is, is probably a musical term. We don't fully understand it, but it basically means that this was meant to be put to music, much like Doug Plank has taken some of the concepts here and written a song called Flowing Streams, right? And it's an excellent song. It's on the Crossway Collective CD. Make sure you pick one up and listen to that song today. It's a great, it really is a wonderful song. It, it rings in my heart and mind often. And the sons of Korah in this superscription here are the sons, or, the, or rather the descendants, not the direct sons, of a priest named Korah who actually led a rebellion against Moses in Numbers chapter 16. But the family basically continued on the path of serving God after, although many were punished in that rebellion. And in 1 Chronicles 6, David puts the sons of Korah, or uh, along with other priests, he puts the descendants of Korah in charge of musical service at the temple after the ark was brought to Jerusalem. So what you're going to see here is that there's, that there's that heading at the beginning of chapter 42. Now go to the beginning of chapter 43, and there's no heading there right? There's, there's no note. There's no superscription. But then go to chapter 44, and you'll see that there is one. 
Now, in this case, that's an indication that 42 and 43 were meant to be together and got separated. But there's even stronger internal evidence, and that's if you look at verse 5, chapter 42, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Well, that verse, if you read that, then you look at verse 11 of chapter 42, and you'll see it's the exact same verse. But then if you go to chapter 43, verse 5, you'll see once again it's the exact same verse. And so what's happening here? is that the psalmist is, is he's working through things that the Spirit is laying on his heart, but he keeps coming back to this summary and this response to his challenges. And that repetition is evidence that this whole thing belongs together. It's a literary unit. It's meant to be read together. So that's the way we're going to treat it this morning, Psalm 42 and 43. Let's take a look at that first reason for turmoil that he's separated. He's separated. Now, we don't know the exact separation here. It could have been the main exile, depending on when this psalm was written. It could have been the main exile that happened where where Jerusalem was overrun and they were deported by the I'm getting my history, by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., or it could have been sometime sooner, and there's some indication that it was sometime sooner that there was a raid or there was a time when this particular priest was exiled. So we don't know the exact separation here, but he was separated. He was away from Jerusalem. He's away from the temple. He can't get to the temple to worship God. He's separated from God in that sense, and he's separated from fellowship in that sense. Let me read for you chapter 42, verses 1 to 4. Chapter 42, verses 1 to 4. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. You might be familiar with that very popular worship song. I think it came from the 80s. As the deer pants for water, so my soul uh, longeth or thirsteth after thee. Does anyone remember that song? Remember that song, right? That was uh, an oldie but goodie. Now, but that song, I don't think it it strikes quite the right tone. I'm not saying it's bad. I think it can be sung with the right tone. But a lot of times when I remember singing that, it was just a pure, I need to be passionate for God. I need to desire God. That's good, yes. But against the contrast of what's happening here, this verse takes on a greater meaning because this is not just a desire to to love God more. This is a desperate longing for God because the person cannot be with God because the person is separate from God. The person used to be in close in the presence of God, but now the writer is separate from God. And so it's, it's like he's talking about a time of drought when the deer would, would be thirsty. This is not a camel who stored up gallons of water and can go long distances in the desert without water. This is a deer who needs to find a stream or a brook or a little pond. And, and, and yet it's drying up out there. There's none to be found. So he searches and searches and searches. Finally, she finds some water and, and is refreshed. But, but the writer here feels like that doe that can't find the water. There's this desperate longing for God because of the separation here. You see, isn't that the way it is in life? We don't realize what we have until it's gone. We don't miss it until it's gone. And if you have the presence of God with the people of God, 
the Spirit of God, when that would be gone, wouldn't you miss it above all things? Now, as he goes here, he remembers how it used to be. It's his memory that helps him and haunts him. He remembers what it was like and how glorious it was, but it also makes it bitter to him because he doesn't have that right now. So in verse 4, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. I used to go with the throng, with the multitudes. I used to go. I used to lead the procession. This may have been David even. I used to lead the procession of the people up to the temple. We were singing and praising you, God, and we were in your presence. We were all together, and it was glorious. Your people before you all together worshiping you. That's what he had, and that's what he longed for. Now, remember how important the temple was for them at the time. They didn't have, they didn't have Jesus come yet at that time. He's our temple. We come to him. When we gather together, we gather in His name. That's what makes this glorious. But for them, they had to obey. They had to go to the temple where they would meet with God in a particular and special way. And they would do so together. In fact, three times a year, they would travel to the temple and they'd worship God. They'd be in His presence. That's what He's talking about. And He doesn't have it anymore. And He misses it. It pains him. It pains him so much that he says, tears are my food day and night. He's saying, there's never a moment in my, in my life right now when I do not have great pain. And it says here, they ask him, where is his God? And I, I think that's especially applied to the oppressors, to the persecutors. We'll see that as we go through. But I think also... Even his tears, in a sense, metaphorically, are mocking, taunting. And look at your pain. Where is your God? He's nowhere. You're separate from him. And he's saying, oh, when can I come before God again? And we should be grateful for what we have as long as we have it, right? Right? Shouldn't we be grateful for what we have as long as we have it? And think about this. We know that when we gather in the name of Jesus, He's with us. His Spirit is powerfully with us, whether that's a couple of us in a home or in our small groups, our care groups, or here on Sunday morning, and especially here when we're all gathered, this whole local church gathered together weekly. It's an awesome thing. Oh, it's so far, it's such a far cry away from, from, from me or, or maybe you as a, 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 when you can think of when you were a teenager, like this is boring, when will it be over? Oh, it's a far cry from that. If we couldn't do this, if we couldn't gather in this way, we would miss it. Do we live like that now? Do we value, do we cherish these gatherings? Do we love them? Oh, love these gatherings. Cherish them. Consider it an honor and a privilege to do this. Take heart, dear friends. We have the fellowship of God's people in the presence of God in the name of Jesus together, and it is awesome. Don't take it for granted. Now, in this in his situation, he's separate from God. Now, God is everywhere. He knows that. But he's separate from that opportunity to worship God together with all his people and experience God's presence in that way. And so, if you go down to verse 5, let me read verse 5 for you. He's going to ask himself a, a question here. Chapter 42, verse 5. Let me read this for you again. We need to read this over and over. It's so good. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. You see, he asked himself the question, why are you cast down? He, he feels his turmoil, his pain, his angst, and he takes a step back and says, okay, wait a minute. Let me ask myself the question, why, O soul? And when it talks about the soul, it doesn't just mean spiritually. It means his whole being, his mind, his heart, his body, his spirit. He's, he's in turmoil within me. And he asked himself that question, 
Why are you in turmoil within me? There's another point when I was at that church in Fortney, New Jersey, and I was the assistant slash youth pastor there, and I was part, it was a church plant, so I was the second guy on a church plant, and I was working a full-time job, and this was right out of Bible college, and, and, and there were some real challenges. You know, the ministry was, it was hard soil. It seemed like it was hard to, to gather people and to lead them to Christ. There was, there was good fruit, but it was hard. And one of the hardest things was just, was just having to work another job, not being able to give myself to the ministry. And, and I remember being downcast about the difficulty of it. But I also remember at a certain point asking myself the question, wait a second, what really is so hard about this? I have a job. I have everything I need, food and clothing and shelter. I'm part of a church and it's good. I have the opportunity to, to share Christ with many, including those that I work with and work around, work for. And when I took a step back, I realized that my despair wasn't lining up with my reality. That being downcast, I was more downcast than the situation called for. Do you ever find yourself like that? Do you ever see that in yourself, that, that we can tend to, to be more dramatic than necessary, that we can, we, can, we can tend to not appreciate the things that we ought to fully appreciate, and the things that, that are haunting us or are difficult, we can make more of than we should. Now, I'm not denying the difficulty of certain things and, and the great difficulty of certain things, but look at, look at the psalmist's difficulty. He was somewhere he didn't want to be, being persecuted by those that didn't love God, and he couldn't worship God the way he wanted to. And yet, he realizes something. And he asks his soul something. He says, why are you discouraged? Because my reality is that God is my salvation. He is my God. See, he needed to be grounded in the salvation that God had already wrought. And I want to ask you, are, are you grounded in the separation, or <laughs> in the salvation, not the separation, are you grounded in the salvation that God has wrought? Or do these difficulties in your life, do they loom so large that you just walk through life downcast? You see, even in the midst of our greatest troubles, there's a reason to be faithful and joyful and steadfast. I believe the psalmist is that. You know, Jesus, unlike us, we are never actually separated from God, not if we have Christ. We may feel like God is far, like he, He's so far away, He, he can't hear or answer, he has, he has no care to hear or answer. But we're never truly separated from God, not if we have Christ. His Spirit is with us. So no matter how you feel, if you believe in Christ, you're not separated from God. Now, Jesus, for our sake, He was actually truly separated from God. He was actually at the cross, separated from his father. And he was also separated from his disciples and his family. He did that so that we never have to be. You see, when he was separated from God, it was so that he could bear the full brunt of our punishment, which includes being separated from God for the sin that we deserve. And so he took that on. And if we trust him, he takes that punishment of separation and we never have to experience that. So do you feel separated from God this morning? Ask yourself the question, are you grounded in the reality of your salvation and the fact that God is with you? Now, when there is turmoil within, we've got to put our hope in God. One reason for turmoil was separation. Another is that this writer was forgotten. He was forgotten. Do you remember that first Home Alone movie? Did you ever see that Home Alone movie, the first one? I don't know about the other ones. But that 
first Home Alone movie was pretty good. It wasn't bad. The boy was forgotten. And what was fun about that movie is, is that he basically made the best of it. It was almost like, oh, well, this is actually kind of fun. I, I get to do my own thing. And while he's at it, he takes on a couple of robbers and, and beats the living daylights out of them. But really, it's not fun to be forgotten, certainly by one's parents. Can you imagine being forgotten by God? And maybe you already feel that way. Let me read for you chapter 42, verses 6 through 11. Verses 6 through 11. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Now, he begins by remembering again, remembering what he had in God, remembering God's faithfulness. You know, that's, that is a key uh, a tool for us to think back. I, I think Jeremy may have even said it this morning, to think back and remember the faithfulness of God to us over the years. I think Kurt mentioned it as well, how faithful God has been to us over the last year, and He will continue to be faithful. There's no reason to think of otherwise. And so he begins, the psalmist begins, even though he feels forgotten, he begins by remembering, and by remembering that God remembers him. Now, he does this, he must have been in the very north of Israel around this Mount Hermon. It's way up north in, the, in, the, in, the, in Palestine, but in, at the time it would have been Israel. And Mount Hermon, its peaks are about 9,000 feet above sea level. To put that in perspective, the Poconos do not reach 3,000 feet above sea level. And the Rockies are close to 14,000 feet above sea level. And so it's, it's about three times higher than the Poconos, but not quite as high as the Rockies, but it's way up there. And the sense you get, the picture he gives us is that of him watching powerful waterfalls, probably more than one. And, he, and if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you've seen the Canadian side and the New York side, and those waters just pour in, and from certain points, you can hear the roar of those waters from both sides. If you've ever been to Niagara, you know it is deafening, deafening roar. And that seems to be the kind of idea he's got here. He's, he's viewing these waterfalls or he has these waterfalls in mind and he hears them roar. And something about their roar, something about the, the, the low tone and the, the rumble of those waters, those powerful waters hitting deep waters and, and driving down and making that, that sound causes him to think about deep purposes and how he's immersed in the deep purposes of God. And he's thinking about this. He, he can't understand. So, the purposes of God are so deep that he can't understand or fathom deep calls to deep, these, these deep purposes. And he says this, he says, your breakers and your waves have gone over me. If that refrain sounds familiar, it's because that's what Jonah says about his experience of being thrown into the stormy ocean and how he, he goes into the waters. He says, he says the same thing, your, your breakers and, and your waves have gone over me. In other words, I'm immersed in your work, O oh God. And, of course, Jonah is swallowed by the whale. So, so when he talks about deep calling the deep, it's not necessarily this, this, this happy, uh, a light moment. Oh, no, it's, it's God. Your purposes are so deep. And, and I feel I am 
absolutely overrun by your purposes. I, I can't comprehend them. I don't, I don't necessarily like the way this feels, but I'm so out of my element. I have no idea what's going on, and I wish you would take me out of this. I feel forgotten by you, so buried in your purposes that I feel forgotten by you. I know that you're sovereign. I know you've got a plan. I can't tell what's going on here. And I can't, I can't for the life of me figure out why I got to go through this. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you're in the deep, immersed in the deep purposes of God? Look at, look at his faith in the midst of this. Look at his faith in the midst of of all this. Look at verse 8. He says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. That's right after he talks about deep calls to deep. And then right before he says, I say to my God, why have you forgotten me? So even in the midst of feeling like he's so immersed in the purposes of God, he could never understand it and wishes he wouldn't have to go through it. He still commends the steadfast love of the Lord. Isn't that the right attitude? Isn't that where we need to be? Like, okay, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why I have to go through this. I feel like you've forgotten me. But I know that you love steadfastly and you will never move off that purpose. And so no matter what I face right now, I know you love. I'll cry out to you. But I also know you love me in the Savior. And there's people in this passage that are persecuting him, probably these foreigners he's living around. They, they're, they're unbelievers. They're, they're bringing persecution. They're oppressing him. And he's saying, surely God will remember his people in persecution, right? But he's still facing the persecution. He's facing the oppression. He's certainly not free to go to Jerusalem and worship. And nothing is happening and nothing is, is getting fixed. Nothing's releasing. Nothing, nothing's being saved in that sense. And it's killing him. And that's why he cries out to God. You know, we can face persecution. We do sometimes as Christians. Perhaps more is to come soon. We can also just face oppression. And the oppressive nature of sin working through others, where people can falsely accuse us or think the worst of us or judge us or talk behind our backs and gossip and slander us, not appreciate us, and it goes on and on, and we can feel like the people around us are part of us being immersed under the waters to the point of drowning. Talk about a baptism. And even there, we need to hope in God. Right? Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. <coughs> One of the things that's amazing about this refrain that's being said over and over, is it, it, it captures us, this idea. He says, hope in God. Not hope. He doesn't say to his soul, hope that God will send the answer. He doesn't say to his soul, hope that God will fix this, or, or hope that God will destroy those that are persecuting me. He doesn't say that. But it says, hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. And then he says, my salvation. He, he, he basically personifies salvation here by likening to God. He's saying God is his salvation, not what God is going to do but that God himself is his salvation. Now, this may seem like a small difference, but I don't believe it is a, 
a small difference because for the Christian, dear friend, and hear me on this, it's, it's not just about what God is going to do for us. And certainly God has done for us. He sent His Son to die for us. But even that is pointing to a, 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 a greater fundamental. You see, God Himself is the answer for us. God Himself is our salvation. God Himself is the goal. Loving God, cherishing God, exalting God, and exalting in God is the goal for us. God Himself is the goal for us. What's amazing to me is that this psalmist, under this great duress, with every reason to give up his faith, instead of giving up his faith, he is savoring all the more God himself. Now, is God precious to us like that? Is he our goal? Is he our our most cherished relationship? And when we go through these deep waters, and we hear the roar, and we feel the breakers, and we just don't know what's going on, we feel forgotten, can we remember that God Himself must be the, the beat of our heart, the desire of our heart, and the thing that God is even getting at? Now, tell the truth to yourself. Speak the truth to yourself. Isn't it true that we love Him more after we've been immersed under His breakers and waves? Isn't that true? God knows what He's doing. You know, Jesus was forgotten too. Peter denied Him three times just before He went to the cross. It was a very willful forgetting by Peter, wasn't it? Denying Jesus explicitly to save his own skin. Forgetting him. Acting like he he had no knowledge of him. Well, remember that Jesus was forgotten. He was forsaken for us. And that's why what Isaiah says in chapter 49, 15 is true of all those who trust Jesus Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet, God says, I will not forget you. Dear friend, please look at me. God has not forgotten you. He will never forget you. Not when He's made you His child, His son. No matter what you face, no matter what deep waters you struggle in, God has not forgotten you. You are in Him if you are in Christ. And He is your treasure and your salvation. Well, the third way we see our psalmist in turmoil this morning is that he was rejected. He was rejected. And that turmoil, and when, we're, when we experience the turmoil of rejection, we need to put our hope in God, just as the psalmist does. Now, have you ever been rejected? Guys, have you ever asked out a girl who rejected you? It was good. It was good for you, wasn't it? I mean, I never had that happen to me. I'm kidding. Of course I have had that happen to me. It's painful. But it's good, isn't it? It helps us, uh, helps us think soberly about ourselves, doesn't it? It helps us understand a little bit better who we are. Rejection does not feel good, but man, it happens. And the problem comes when we're rejected by those, or we feel rejected by those we most esteem. Now, let me read for you Psalm chapter 43, verses 1 through 5. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. 
from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Here's what's amazing here. See, the psalmist, the writer here, he's not complaining about the rejection he experiences by these foreigners, his oppressors, his persecutors. He's not complaining specifically or or directly about it. He expects to be treated badly by them. He understands that. But he interprets being treated badly by them as being rejected by God. And that's what he's complaining about. He's saying, God, do you see this? Do you see how I'm being treated? Are you rejecting me too? Why have you rejected me too? So he expects it from people, but he doesn't expect it from God. And yet that's what he's experiencing. That's how he interprets his experience. And it just doesn't seem right. Have Have you ever experienced that where... You're saying to God, do you see this? Do you see how I'm being wronged? How can you not see this? How can you? This is so wrong, God. It's so bitter to my soul. It can't possibly be right. How can you let this happen? And when we're there, there's also this thought. God, Do I not belong to you at all? Have you rejected me? Am I not even a Christian? You know, asking ourselves again or checking down on our faith is not a bad thing to do. Sometimes. But if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you belong to God and you have not been rejected. Let me read for you from this little book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. It's been around a while, and I know that some of it may not be accurate. I don't know anything about sheep and about raising sheep. However, uh, he talks about a cast sheep and the idea of of a sheep being cast down. And he, he, he says basically they, they end up in a place where they're, they're on their back and they, they can't get up. And it's a pathetic sight. And he says, he says this is how it happens. A heavy or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax. Suddenly the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently, this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. Now it is quite impossible for it to regain its feet. It goes on from there and talks about how the sheep could even die in a few hours' time in that condition. Again, I don't know anything about being a shepherd. But it's quite a picture, isn't it? The idea of that sheep with its heavy wool being on its back, not being able to get out. It's quite a picture of being cast down. I think sometimes you and I can feel cast down. Even if we do put a smile on our face. We walk around with that smile and we say, nobody knows. They don't really know me. Well, maybe because you're not sharing. Maybe you're not letting, maybe you're not being honest with those you're in fellowship with. Maybe you should tell them you're cast down so that they can help you. 
Because see, even when God's people are cast down, we should still have faith that can work its way out in fellowship. And we ought to still have hope. Look again, chapter 43, verse 5. Chapter 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Now, look at that that second part of the verse again. Let's fix on that a little bit. Hope in God. Why? Why should he hope in God? Why should he hope in God? Remember what he's missing. He's missing the opportunity to worship God in his place with his people. He's missing that powerful presence of God. But he says there's hope in God. He he tells him, he answers his own soul. When when he says, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are are there turmoil within you? Why is there turmoil within you? His soul says this, hope in God. Why? Because I will again praise him. You see the faith there? He has a sure confidence that no matter what's going on right now, he will again lift his hand among God's people, shoulder to shoulder, giving praise to God. You see, when do, when do, when do God's people praise him like that? Well, when, when, we, when we're able, when we appreciate He's saying, I'm going to join the multitude again. I'll have that again. And and my soul won't be downcast. It'll be uplifted. I'll want to do that. Maybe this morning you came in and God's people are here in the name of Jesus, but you didn't feel like raising a hand. You didn't feel like singing a song. Hope in God. Your soul will be uplifted again. And you will praise Him again. And he says this with such faith, with such certainty. Why should I hope in God? Because I will, because I will praise Him. Now, it goes deeper than that. It goes further than that. There's another line. He's saying, hope in God, soul. Here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to have this opportunity to praise Him. Why? Again, not based on just what God is going to do, but the following line. Because of who God is. My salvation, because God is my salvation, because that's who He is. He almost cannot help Himself. What does God do for His people? He saves them. He's my Savior and my God. He is my salvation and my God. Because He is my salvation and my God. So soul, when you're downcast, why are you downcast, soul? Don't you remember who God is? He's salvation. He's your God. You belong to Him. You don't belong to the devil. You don't belong to any other. You belong to God. You will be saved because God is salvation. And therefore, you will again praise Him. This thing you long for, this thing you miss, it's going to come again. I want to ask the ushers to come immediately. And in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. Remember, dear friends, when there is turmoil in your soul, put hope in God. And so I want to ask you right now, is there turmoil in your soul this morning? Are you downcast? Are you like the upside-down sheep? And are your strivings making it worse? Here's what you need to do. You need to say to your soul. You need to ask your soul some questions. Why? Why are you downcast? And then you need to remind yourself who God is. He is your salvation and He is your God. Now, if you're cast down today, communion is the perfect 
thing to participate in. Why? Because it's at the table of the Lord that we are reminded, we're reminded of the certainty of praising Him again. How are we reminded of that certainty? Well, the death of Jesus, ushers could come and just begin passing out the elements as soon as possible. We're reminded because Jesus died on the cross for sinners like us. And when He rose again, He gained for us a new life. So forgiveness of sin and eternal life is for all those who trust in Him. Communion is for all those who trust in Him. And so if you're visiting today, you're not a member here, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, please participate in communion. If you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Come and talk to us right after the message. We want to pray for you. And we want to see you baptized in the name of Jesus. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll receive eternal life. And you will join us at the Lord's table. And so, dear Christian friend, as you participate in communion this morning, remember the certainty of praising Him again. Now, I should have done this initially, but we'll do it, we'll do it right now. Uh, and so if you have the, uh, the elements, just, hang, just hold for one second. Everyone stand. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing together even as we pass the elements and partake. And so if you would, as you, as you have the elements, hold them. Don't partake yet. We're going to partake all together. We're going to sing. And during this time of singing, let your soul be refreshed as you praise God and sing the praises to Him for His great salvation. And then I'll come back up and I'll lead us in a time of communion. Let's sing together. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.